All right, good morning. Welcome to Carolina Family Church again. Uh, my name is John. I'm the pastor here. And I don't know if you've realized this, but life can be difficult to manage. You ever notice that? You ever notice? Anybody else have trouble managing life sometimes? Uh, I, I use this analogy all the time. It's one of my favorite analogies. I like word pictures and things that I can visualize. And I picture life like juggling right? You have all of these balls that you need to try and keep in the air. You've got your relationships, and you've got your finances, and you've got your schedule, and you've got your body, and you've got the the earth that's around. all these resources, and it's like we're just juggling them all the time. Eyes on the ball, just trying to keep them all in the air. And just when you feel like you've got it, you're like a pretty good rhythm, a pretty good balance going in life, you look down, and you're like, oops, there's my marriage. Forgot about that. You know, and so you're like, then you're trying to juggle with one hand while you pick this up and keep all these balls up in the air while you're paying attention to this one you dropped and you get that and you get it back up and you're like, okay, we got it. We got it. We got it. We got it. Uh-oh. You know, now there's my schedule. Life's getting so hectic and then we're juggling again and trying to get this fixed. And it feels like a constant process of trying to keep all the balls up in the air and we never seem to do a very good job of it. And it's frustrating and it's like, it's hard enough to get a handle on one thing, let alone everything. And you pay attention over here and you're fixing this while this is falling apart. And that's just what life feels like. It's so hard to manage but I know we all want to manage everything really, really well for different reasons, but we just struggle to. Now, and I know that because I do. I feel that same way. I feel I'm always playing this game. Why is that? Why why do we struggle so much to manage everything that's going on in our life? There's, There's a few different reasons, obviously. Part of it is Part of it is we have just too much going on in many cases, and we just, there are too many balls that we're trying to keep in the air. Sometimes, Sometimes it's because, um, sometimes it's because we just don't know how. You know, I remember um, when Jess and I first got married, we were young. We were 22 years old. We had just graduated from college. We actually graduated from college one weekend, got married the next weekend, and then moved from Pittsburgh to Salisbury the next weekend. So graduate, get married, move. We packed it all together because I like tight transitions. And so we, we made a tight transition. It was crazy. It was wild. But I remember about a month before the wedding, I had a panic, a mo- panic attack moment because I'd never lived on my own before. You know, I'd lived with my parents and then in college dorms, but never on my own before. And so I had no idea how to do a budget or anything like that. I, so I went to my dad. This is how the conversation went. I went to my dad. I said, Dad. He said, he said, yeah. I said, in a month, I'm getting married. I'm graduating. I actually didn't graduate. I got a, I, when I walked across the stage, I got a folder that everyone else had their diplomas in, and I got a, you owe, still owe us three credits. That's what I got. But I said, I'm theoretically graduating in, in, in about a month. I'm getting married, and then we're moving, and I'm going to be responsible for taking care of this other person, let alone myself, now this other person, too. She was a teacher, so we were moving in the summer. She wasn't going to have a paycheck. I was making like, I think, $24,000 a year to start. So, you know, take home. I was going to have about 1500 bucks a month. And I was like, Dad, I just need to know if we can survive. I don't even know if we can survive. He's like, all right, so what do you know about your bills? I said, I know what our rent is. He's okay. He said, you're going to have to pay for more than rent. You realize that, right? Like, okay, what else are we going to have to pay for? He's like, well, power. I was like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Yep, we need that. 
So uh, we got to factor that in. He's like, food? Yep, eating is good. That'll be, that'll be part of the plan. That's fine. He said, all right, all right. He said, I'll help you out. And he went and he got the yellow pad. And we did a yellow pad budget. You ever done a yellow pad budget? That was my first budget. And he just write down our rent and he wrote down, uh, he's like, all right, here's what power will probably be and here's what your food will probably be and here's how much gas will probably cost you and here's your car payments and this is what your college loan is gonna be and blah, blah, blah. He did the list and then he said, now how much are you gonna be making? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm bringing home like 1,500 bucks a month or something like that. And, um, and so he, he, he just started adding up and then he drew a line. I said, what's that line? He said, that's where the money runs out. So anything below the line wasn't going to make it. But I just remember I was so insecure about managing finances because I had no idea how to do it. I didn't have a plan. And even after that, the yellow pad budget told me I, just I was going to survive. It was years before I actually learned how to plan for, for finances. Um, and so it's hard. Sometimes you just don't know how. And then even when you know how, even when you have a plan, now discipline comes into play, right? Actually keeping that schedule that we set, actually spending money that way, actually managing our relationships that way. Or have you ever started a diet and not finished it? Anybody, <laughs> right? You have a plan, but you just don't know quite how to work the plan or don't have the discipline. And there's, there's lots of things, or, or maybe it's in your relationship, maybe in your marriage, like you have a plan, you know what you want to do, but your spouse has a completely different plan. And so you feel like you can't ever manage that thing because you can't get on the same page. There are a lot of things that derail our ability to manage life. And so what we're going to do in this series, we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about how to manage well in these different areas of our life. We'll talk about how to manage money. We'll talk about how to manage time. We'll talk about how to manage relationships. We'll talk about how to manage our bodies. And we'll talk about how to manage the earth that we've been given. All of these things have been given to us, and we want to manage them well. What we're going to do today is we're just going to kick it off, and we're going to set some um, sort of ground rules or basic understandings that we're going to need before we go into the rest of the series. To do that, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew 25. And we're going to read something called the parable of the talents. Now, many of you, if you've been in church, you're going to be very familiar with that. There's lots of messages. When you're, whenever you're talking about managing or um, this concept in church, we use the term stewardship. And that just, a steward was a person who was a financial manager or property manager uh, way back in the day. So we're talking about um, a manager. So it's the parable of the manager's. Um, you probably, honestly, even if you're not a Christian, I would be willing to bet you've probably heard this in one form or another um, in, in the past. So what I want to do is I'm just going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read it just like Jesus um, would have said it. I'm going to add in a few things of explanation just to make sure we're clear on what it is we're reading. Um, then we'll go back and, and uh, take it apart a little bit and see what we're going to learn. So it's in Matthew chapter 25, and if you are new to the Bible, that's in the first book of the New Testament, and it's like two-thirds of the way through. It's there, all right? If you have exactly the same Bible as me, that would be page uh, 651, all right? You probably don't, but it might get you in the ballpark. Who knows? So um, I'm just giving you time to get there. Matthew 25, so we're going to start with verse 14. For it, and when he says it, he's talking about the kingdom of God. That's what this whole thing is about, all right? For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, and a talent is a unit of money, it's currency, so I don't know, we call it a grand, so he gave them five grand, all right? To another two, and to another one, 
So there's three, right? There's three managers. One gets five talents, one gets two talents, and one gets one talent. He gave them those amounts to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. That's pretty solid, right? 100% return on investment. I bet any of us would take that <laughs> any day, right? So he made, uh, so also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Call that the, uh, the old mattress management of money, all right? Mattress money management is what that is. Just stuff it for later. Now, after a long time, we have no idea how long. It doesn't really matter. There isn't an actual long time because this is a parable Jesus is telling. But the point is he's gone for a good bit of time. The master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I made the five talents more. I, I do think Jesus probably, so last week we talked about Jesus having a sense of humor, right? This is another place. This is where I see Jesus' sense of humor coming in because the guy who had made five talents, he's right up front. He's, at the fr he's sitting on the front row of the class when the teacher comes in. He's the one, when the manager shows up, he's like, hey, buddy, guess what? <laughs> I took your five talents, got you five more. What do you think? So he's, he is the first brown noser of the bunch. But um, he comes up to him. He says, here, I made you five talents more. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. All right, that's this goodwill into his good graces, all right? He's like, welcome to the circle of trust, my friend. <laughs> all right, very good. So uh, enter the joy of your master, verse 22. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. So this guy's like, oh, no, I didn't get the five, but listen, by percentages, just as good. All right, just as good. So he comes forward and he gets the exact same response, of course, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Word for word, exactly the same thing he said to the, to the first servant. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward reluctantly. He was in the, he was in the back of the room. He was avoiding eye contact with the master, hoping that he wouldn't ask what had happened after those first two guys. You know how hard it is to follow someone who's done a really good job? Like, like when another dude buys his wife flowers and you're like, come on, man, you're killing me. I just imagine that's probably what he was thinking. I uh, received one talent. He came forward and said, master, and he's trying to explain. Okay, he's, he's trying to explain and give reasons for, for why he did what he did. He said, Master, I, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow. So like taking other people's crops, basically. And gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what's yours. He thought maybe he was going to get off easy because at least he returned what he had taken, right? He didn't lose it. That was the point. He didn't lose it. But the master said to him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I've not scattered where I've scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. <laughs> and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. I love it. I think this is humor again from Jesus. He's like, man, why'd you bury it? Just go, you should have at least opened a money market. 
man, just at least, at least go down and get a savings account and earn like half a percent interest on this thing. And then at least you wouldn't just be giving me back what I had. I could have dug a hole in the ground myself, right? I didn't need you to do that for me. I, so he's, yeah, it's funny. Anyway, so uh, could have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has 10 talents. He had already told the, the guy with 10 talents he'd trust him with more, and that's what he does. For to everyone who has will be given, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant out into outer darkness in the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, what I want to do is I want to take a look at the mentalities that are at play in this parable so we can understand what Jesus is actually trying to tell us and what he wants us to do with it. The, he's, he's talking about managers. Again, in church, we might use the term stewards. Uh, these servants are responsible, and they have a very different mindset. And I want to look at their mindset and then what they do with it. So uh, verse 14 and 15 specifically, Jesus starts and he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. So if you're taking notes, if you've got your Bibles, if you'd like to mark down or write a highlight, Mark where it says entrusted to them and where it says his property. Entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. So I want to talk about what a good manager does. And the first thing that a good manager does is that a good manager thinks differently than an owner. A manager has to have a different mindset than an owner does. In fact, they, they naturally do. All right, I was thinking about my good friend Stephen West, who happens to be in the service and sitting on the front row today, <laughs> but he's a financial advisor. And so um, he sits down with people and manages their money, helps them understand where to put it, what investments to put it into. And I guarantee you, you can confirm this or deny it by your facial expression or by shouting. But... Uh, you probably think differently about the money that you manage for them than you do about your own money. Different, right? There's something, there's something about the effect of it. There's something about the emotional attachment that you have to it in some way, right? You have to think differently. You think differently about other people's stuff. I know that when someone gives me something or I borrow something, I treat that thing differently than I treat my own stuff. You ever notice that? Like if somebody loans me their sliding compound miter saw, which is a wonderful and useful tool, um, and if you have one, I could borrow it. Um, but when someone loans, when someone, <laughs> I say that because uh, somebody lent me their, their miter saw and I had it for two years. But anyway, um, <laughs> I was like, when you need it back, just let me know. But uh, when someone loans me something, I treat it really, really well. I take really good care of it. Whereas it, my own stuff, my own, I don't want to pay nearly as much attention to take care and taking care of my, my stuff. Does that make sense? And so when it comes to the things that you have, you're always going to ascribe more value to the other person's thing than you are to your thing. So uh, you'll ascribe more value to other people's time than your own time. You'll ascribe more value to other people's money than your own money. And you'll think about it and you'll manage it differently depending on what your mindset is. Am I a manager or am, am I an owner? All right. Um, well, uh, let, me, let me kind of prove this. Is anybody, does anybody have a $100 bill on them? Can I have it? Borrow it? Uh, <laughs> Eve's got me. You got it. 
All right. So you're, you're going to get this, all right? <laughs> no. <laughs> Lee got shut down, Leo. You got shut down, man. <laughs> okay. Got it? Who got it? Building the anticipation. I'm building the anticipation. Here we go. All right. All right. Here it is. Ready? That's a $100 bill. Is that a lot of money? Well, I don't know. Is that a lot? I mean, it depends, doesn't it? That's, that's not a lot of money at Disney World. All right? That's not a lot of money at Disney World. That's a lot of money at HAPS, though. Right? <laughs> Am I right? That's a lot of money. Anyway, it depends on who you ask. But um, it's a matter, this is a big time matter of perspective. You know, I, I look at that story of the, the parable of the talents and he gave to each according to their ability. And I don't think that it's one was more faithful than another. I mean, the guy who got five earned the same as a percentage as the guy who got two. So it's not like he was necessarily a better manager of money. Maybe he was just used to having five talents around. There's some people who are just like for a hundred dollars wouldn't mean much to them. And for some people, a hundred dollars means, means the whole world. But um, the point is that if I had this $100 bill, if this was mine, okay, if this was my $100 bill, I could think of a lot of things to do with this, okay? I've got a lot of projects. I've got a lot of things that I, that I would like to do. I can think of some things. If this just dropped on me, like where I wasn't planning on having this as extra income, there's a lot of things, that, little things I would just love to have or like a tool or, or whatever, you know, Oh, I need like a baffle plate for my, my smoker, my offset smoker. You know, like I could get that with this. I, but if, <laughs> if uh, so if, if I think of this as mine, I'm going to spend it one way. But if Eva gives this to me and she says, hey, here's $100, here's what I want you to do with it, or I want you to use this wisely, I'm going to think a lot more about what I use this for. And I'm going to think about how I can use this thing in a way that's going to honor Eva for giving it to me rather than for myself. Does that make sense? So a manager thinks different than an owner. I'm going to give it back. <laughs> thank, you, thank you for your help. You've earned it. <laughs> that's a good hourly wage if that was the case, right? There's something, there's, there's, less, there's less emotional attachment to it. Here's, here's the deal. As you think about the resources that you have in your fingertips, the things that are available to you to use. You don't own any of it. Do you realize that? You don't own, it's, it, it's not yours. It never, it never was yours. As I think about everything that I have, I may be borrowing it for a while. You think about the cycle of everything. Like I might have money in my bank account, but I didn't create atoms and that I didn't that formed together to create molecules, that formed together to create wood that created a tree. I know wood doesn't create tree. Just roll with me, okay? It's not scientifically accurate. It's okay. It created a tree, and they cut that tree down, and they turned that tree into pulp, and then they turned that pulp into paper, and then they put ink onto that paper, and then they, it was handed to me for something that I did. I didn't do any of that. I'm just, I, I'm maybe the end holder of it until one day we'll break down or go to someone else or whatever, and the whole cycle starts over. I, I'm, I don't own anything. I don't create anything. I don't make time. I don't, I don't 
I did not make my own body. I didn't weave DNA together to turn me into me. I'd have done it differently, honestly, if it were me. I might have, might have you know, put a little more of a skinny gene, you know, not skinny jeans, but like, you know, like a skinny gene into the DNA, right? So if it had been me, I didn't do any of that. And I know, like, we think about things like money and we go, well, I earned it. I worked hard for it. It's my money. I want to spend it how I want. The thing is like, no, who gave you legs? Who, who gave you a brain so that you could think? So that, who, who gave you the opportunities to go to the school or, or get in touch with the, the tradesmen that you apprenticed under or the, the company that you had the opportunity? Where did all that come from? That all, all, all of that, the relationships you have, everything came from God. He is the owner of you. He is the owner of everything that you have. So to put an owner's mindset on when we think about all this stuff is foolish because we don't own it. God owns it. So we need to have a manager's mindset. Psalm 24, 1 said, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Everything that I have, and none of that comes from me. It is all the grace of God. It is all what God has graciously put into my hands, put it into the span of my care and said, take care of this, manage this. This is, this is the manager's mindset. And until we put a manager's mindset on uh, in our head, we are never going to get control of any of this stuff. And so that's, that's the starting point. It's what we need to do. And, and if we don't, we're in trouble. Um, I think about King Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament. He was a very prideful guy, and he built an incredible kingdom, the kingdom of Babylon. And, and this is what he said. It's not going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen. This is uh, from the book of Daniel. It tells us, the king answered, said, Is this not great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? He's looking out over the city. He's like, look what I did. Look what I own. All, and it's all for my glory. And it says this, While the words were still in the king's mouth, while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time, seven years, shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so King Nebuchadnezzar looked over his kingdom and he said, look what I did. And as the words are coming out of his mouth, God's like, nope. And he kicks him out of Babylon, drives, he basically, everybody thinks he's crazy. He goes outside of Babylon. He's eating grass on his hands and knees for seven years until he finally gets it through his thick skull that God owns everything. I hope we don't have to spend seven years crawling around on our hands and knees in a field eating grass before we get this, that God owns everything. We don't own a single thing. So we have to put on that manager's mindset. That's the starting point. And then in verse 16, so he, he entrusts it to them, and then he goes away. Verse 16 and 17, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So here's what a good manager does. A good manager puts the owner's resources to work. Puts them to work. There, there's a difference there's a difference between someone who takes resources and builds something and somebody who takes resources and buries them. There's a difference. And we need to be builders 
not barriers. We need to be taking what God has given to us and making it productive instead of sitting on it, wasting it, or consuming it all on ourselves. We have a responsibility. We, if you think about the resources you have at your disposal, we have a fiduciary responsibility to the owner of those resources to earn a return on his investment. So God has invested into you, and he wants a return from you. Now, I remember, um, I remember learning something very important the first time that I sat down with my financial advisor to talk about retirement and planning. Sat down with her, and the first thing she did was she asked questions about what our goals were, what we wanted to accomplish, what, where we wanted to be and when, and, and she would help figure out the how, but we... We looked down the road. We looked at our kids. Are they going to go to college? Are they not going to go to college? How much is college going to cost? When do you want to retire? How much do you want to retire on? Okay, if we figure all that out, if we figure out what you're trying to accomplish, she said, then I can help figure out a game plan to get us to where you want to be. All right? They'll set the wheels in motion. That's what a manager does. The goals are owner-driven. And then the manager finds the plan in order to get there. So, if God is the owner, then he needs to drive the goals for all of this stuff. He needs to drive what we're aiming at, what we're trying to accomplish and where we're trying to go. And so then our job is to manage it to get to where he wants us to be. We got to put it to work. We got to put it to work. Now, what, it's, what, what would God want us to do? If, if, if you think about our time, our money, our body, our relationships, our everything we have, all the stuff, our, the stuff, the things we have at our house and in your garage and in your storage shed, what does he want us to do with those things. Jesus made it really clear what the point of life was and what he wanted from us and for us. He said it over and over and over and over again. He said the two most important commandments are to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. The answer to that should be obvious to us. What does God want us to use all those resources to do? He wants us to use them to advance his kingdom and care for other people. Not consume it all on ourselves, not spend all our time for us, not all me time, not, not spend all our money on us, not have our relationships focused on us, on him and on other people. And so that's what we're supposed to be managing towards. And so I would, just, I would just encourage you to ask a question. Think about the resources. Think about what you have in your hands, at your fingertips, at your disposal, and say, ask the question, are my resources helping to advance God's kingdom and care for other people? Or what I think, unfortunately, I think is the more common answer. Are my resources being consumed by me? Huge difference between the two. God wants the former, not the latter. And he's going to check up on us. All right, so verse 19. In verse 19, he comes back. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. That term, that, I just, th you know, this week, that, that phrase just kept grabbing me. Settled accounts, settled accounts. He comes to settle accounts. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you've delivered to me five talents. Here, I've made five talents more. And all, what, what I see in that, I see confidence. Do you see the confidence in that? That the master shows up and he jumps right out. He knows, he knows he's done well. He knows he's, he's, he's done well by his master and that his master is going to be pleased. And so this is what a good manager does. A good manager is ready to confidently settle accounts. A good manager is ready to confidently settle accounts with the owner. Something, 
as I was reading this this week, something wasn't sitting right with me. Something wasn't sitting right with me about the way I've always understood this passage. I was ju- there was just a tension as I was reading. And one of the things that I noticed, because I've preached, I've probably preached on this, literally probably preached on this parable 10 times, and I've, I've heard far more than that sermons from other pastors on it. It's a, it's a go-to passage in the scripture um, because of how descriptive it is. We always talk about um, being a manager and, 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 and handling, stewarding that stuff well. And we talk about, um, you know, God gives some to some and, you know, this amount to this person and that amount to that person and don't feel bad about that and what God's giving you what you can handle, what you can manage and all this kind of stuff. But what I noticed as I was reading is that this passage, this parable is, in, in our Bible, 17 verses long. Now, Jesus didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't giving verses. He wasn't giving numbers as he was teaching. He wasn't like, and verse 13, the manager returned. He wasn't doing that. But just for a frame of reference, it's 17 verses long. The, uh, the giving of the money is two verses. The managing of the money is three verses. And then when the master comes back, is 12 verses. This, this parable is pretty backloaded on that third point, but we spend more, a lot more time when we're teaching and thinking about this on the first two. Two verses, three verses, instead of the 12 verses. And I thought, something about this, something about this parable, there's something here that I'm not seeing. Because I know that Jesus did teach this, but why? And why did he spend so much time on the back part of this? And that kept nagging at me. Why? I thought, well, well we learned that we're, we're responsible for managing what God has given to us. Yes, but that's not why he taught it. Well, we learned that we're supposed to use it well, use it prudently, and put it to work instead of wasting it. Yes, but that's not why he taught this. Well, we learned that we learn that we can have confidence. Yes, but that's not why he taught this. So what I did was I backed up. I said, okay, I'm looking at this at 10,000 feet. Every time I've ever taught this, every time I've ever heard someone teach it, they just teach the parable of the talent, standalone, by itself, bookend at the start, bookend at the end. And I said, let me, let me back out of this and see what's going on when Jesus teaches it. What is the bigger picture of this story? And so I backed up to the beginning of chapter 24, and this is, it blew my mind. It might blow yours too. It all starts in um, chapter 24 when Jesus is walking with his disciples and presumably a, a larger group of people too. And they walk past the temple. The temple is this big, impressive, ornate building. And as they're walking past it, Jesus looks at it and he says, I'm telling you, there's coming a time when not one stone of that building is going to be left on top of the other. He says, that building's coming down. And they're all shocked because you don't mess with the temple, okay? You don't, you don't mess with the temple. And so they're all shocked and they're all murmuring amongst themselves, but they don't say anything publicly. It tells us that when they got into private, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, man, dude, what were you talking about, man? What do you mean, what do you mean the temple's going to come down? And when? They want to know When? And he says, I'm telling you guys, it's going to get bad. You're going to be tested. You're going to be put to the test. He said there are going to be wars, and there are going to be rumors of wars. 
that everything's going to start to crumble. The foundation of society is going to start to crumble. And they're going to people that are going to come out and they're going to claim to be me and they're not. And you, you can't listen to them. You, you can't be distracted. You can't be diverted. He said, you can't, you, all of this is going to be crashing in around you and you need to stay focused and you need to be prepared. He said, nobody knows. He said, I don't even know. You ask when, he said, I don't know. He said, the angels don't know. The only one who knows when all this, he's talking about the tribulation and what we would call the end times and all this destruction. And, and, and Jesus said, I don't know when it's gonna happen. And the angels don't know when it's gonna happen. Only my father knows when it's gonna happen. He said, it's gonna be like this. It's gonna be like, it's gonna be like a master who puts a servant in charge of food for his family and then goes away for a while. And when he comes back, that that servant has done a faithful job of managing the food distribution for his family. And so he is blessed if that's what he's doing when I return. Or the manager who's in charge of the food, and instead he, he wastes it all on himself and wild living, and he abuses the people that are around him. He said, it's going to be bad for him when I come back. But he won't know when. So it's going to be like, it's going to be like, 10 virgins or 10 bridesmaids who are getting ready for a wedding. And the bridegroom is delayed in coming for the wedding. And so they have to, they fall asleep. And when they fall asleep, five of them run out of oil. Five of them brought extra oil and five of them forgot to bring extra oil. And when they wake up and the bridegroom comes, five of them are ready and five of them are not. And five of them get to go into the wedding and five of them are left out. He said, it's going to be like a master who goes away for a period of time and he entrusts his money to three guys. And he's gone for a long time, and when he finally does come back, two of them are ready for him, and one of them is not. He said, um, two men are going to be working in the field. They're not going to know that it's going to happen, and two men are going to be working in the field, standing side by side, and when I come back, one is going to be gone, and the other one's going to be left. Two women are going to be grinding in a mill. They're not going to know it's going to happen that day, and so one of them is going to be gone, and the other one left. And he said, when I come back, People are going to be separated like sheep and goats. And the sheep will be put over on the right hand and the goats on the left. And the sheep are going to, going to say, well, basically, what did I deserve to be here? And I'm going to look at them and I'm going to say, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and in, the, in prison and you came to visit me. And they're going to say, when did we do that for you, Jesus? And he's going to say, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. And likewise to the goats. He's going to say, away from me. And they're going to say, why? And he's going to say, because I was hungry and you gave me no food, because I was thirsty and you gave me no drink, because I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, because I was naked and you gave me no clothes because I was sick and you didn't visit me. And they said, Jesus, when did we do that to you? When did we not do that to you? And he's going to say, what you did not do to the least of these, you did not do to me. So why does Jesus teach the parable of the talents? He said in chapter 24, verse 44, therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Why does he teach the parable of the talents? Why does he teach us to manage the resources around us really well? The reason is because he's coming back and we don't know when. 
And when he comes back, we need to be ready. When he comes back and settles accounts, just like this master did, we need to be able to look Jesus Christ in the eye. We need to be able to look God in the eye and say, I did the best with what you gave me that I could. I earned the best possible return I possibly could. And so we shouldn't delay and we shouldn't wait and we shouldn't make excuses and we shouldn't say tomorrow. The reason that we're supposed to manage, the reason we're supposed to try to manage is not so our life will be smoother. It's not so that we can have peace of mind when we lay our head on the pillow. It's not so that we can keep up appearances. It's not so that we can provide a great future for our kids. It's not so that we can just remain sane. It's not so that we can have rhythm in life and balance in life. Not so that we can get healthier. Not so that we can get richer. Not so that we can get more peaceful. It is so that we are ready when Jesus comes back because the owner has given us all of this and he may come to settle accounts today and when he does, we want to have confidence in front of him. That's the reason he tells this story. That's the why behind all of the what that we're going to do. And so we have to put that on first and get a sense of urgency for learning to manage things well and to use them to honor God, and to help other people. So what we're going to do, we're going to spend this series talking about how to do that. We're going to give you, in this series, from the Word of God, the tools that you need to manage this stuff confidently so that when Jesus does return, whether that's now or whether we go to meet him when our time's done here, we can look at him confidently and say, God, I have done the best that I possibly can with what you gave me. I hope that's what you want. If it is what you want, that's what we're going to find. So let's, let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you that we have hope. Thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us on the cross, rising again three days later so that we could have hope so that we could have a relationship with you, so we could shift from this small mindset of things being about us to this big, expansive mindset of the life being about you and about other people, the kind of life that just opens us up, what you call, God, real life, true life, fulfilled life, life that isn't full of paranoia and anxiety and fear, insecurity, but a life that is full of confidence and power, that, that we know that you are in control and that you have given us exactly what we can handle and that we can manage it really, really well for your glory, for the benefit of other, other people, so that when we're done, we can come stand in front of you, you look at us, and you will say the same thing you said to these managers. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, and I will put you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. God, I will say, I pray it's, it is the heart of every person who's with us today. We want to live in your joy. We want to live in your peace. We want to live in your good graces, God. And so we understand that everything that we have has come from you. We understand that you want us to use that, that you want to return, that you want us to put it to work. And we understand that you're coming to settle accounts. 
And so we're asking you, God, to give us the tools, to give us the boldness, to give us the discipline that we need in order to confidently be ready when that happens. God, I pray that through this series, you would take things that are in the dark and you would bring them into the light. That you would give us perspective on how we really are using the resources in our life. And that you equip us to use them for your glory beyond all else. And I'm praying for every single person here that you would plant into them the desire, if it's not already there, to honor you with their entire life and with the rest of us to get to work. It's in your name we pray. Amen.